0: Hello, 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 you are listening to Don't Hold Back by Marquita amoa Alright y'all, I'm just gonna get straight into the podcast today because y'all already know what's up this week. This week is a week. <laughs> it is November 6th and we still don't know who the president is. I did not plan on doing a little bit of a song for y'all. But that's what happens. That's what happens when America is America. Sometimes I give you songs. Perhaps I can hearken it back to black people and how we're always singing despite the world crumbling. Okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm done of being a troll today. But today's podcast is all about this week. That's really it. Margaret and I... We sit down and we talk about every feeling that this week, election week has brought out in us. So this is honestly one of my favorite conversations that I've had during the second iteration of my podcast. So please listen and let us know what you think of it. Hi everyone, welcome to Don't Hold Back. Um, Excited for this week's episode. This week has been a doozy. We are recording this on November 5th, Um, so this is live. This is happening now. I want my guest to introduce herself. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, um, real bad week. Um, (laughs) Real bad. My name's uh, Margaret Sulte. I am an artist and a comedian living in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I'm drinking tea right now. Um, I have a job. We're not going to talk about it. We don't talk about our jobs. (laughs) We're not gonna talk about those. We're gonna talk about other things. That's
0: right, that's right. I'm happy to have Margaret here. Um, Margaret's great, one of my favorite people. Um, Margaret knows this, a lot of people know this about me. I have the capacity of about three to five white people in my life at a given (laughs) moment. Three to five. Three to five, that is my quota. It varies depending on year, depending on political climate. Right. Um, 2016 was a hard year. We lost a lot of people, <laughs> um, and I'm feeling secure. I'm feeling good about the people that are here now. Margaret is one of those. So I just want to say thank you for being
1: in my quota. I'm honored to be in the quota. I'm also not taking my 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 place in the quota for granted. Can I just say? Can I just say though? Like you saying three to five like, white friends, do do you know that, like, with Z-Way's show, like, the running joke is that everyone who comes on who's white says that they have four to five Black friends?
0: Yes, which I think is four to five. Four to five. five. And the funny thing about me is that I know I have more than five, but
1: those people who list it really probably have less than four. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, like, if we're talking about, like, real friendships, I think that's probably true, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Like you might just be making like a mental tally in your head to make yourself feel better.
0: Right, Um, so I really wanted us to talk about how we've been coping this week. Cause I think you and I've had very different ways of processing this week and I would love to hear
1: your way. And then we can talk about all of my ways. (laughs) Wait, that. (laughs) You're so right. I never thought about because I'm always like I'm always seeing what you're doing to cope on Twitter, and I'm always like excellent, correct. But then <laughs> like that's so true because like what I am doing is almost the exact opposite of what you are doing. Literally, wow. Ex- excellent place to start this because okay, so the qu- the question is like how I've been coping with yes. this t- okay um I mean pretty vigorous. Phone and text banking. Like I have been, um, I've been um, zooming and phone banking with like the uh, the Culinary Union in Arizona. Shout out! Those are some really great organizers. Um, uh, oh, and, and Nevada also uh, the Carolina Federation in North Carolina. Shout out to them. Those are two two groups that I really think are are we're really doing it and still are going to be doing it. So if we're talking about coping. Like, I'm going to be calling to cure ballots tomorrow. That's when the government decides that your signature doesn't match your signature from, like, five years ago. So, actually, you can't vote and your rights are taken away. Whoa. Um, Yeah, it's a real tragedy. Um, So, like, really fervent, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then I, I think this is, like, a good thing for everyone to do. But, like, more sitting back and, and taking into account, like in my own life, like outside of national politics, like how, cause that, that's just a mess, right? Like who knows what's going to happen with national politics. It's it's just like, doesn't make sense. There's gerrymandering. People are terrible, but like, what am I doing in my own, like interpersonal life? Like reflecting on that. So like, I, I, I've been thinking a lot about like the Yellowhammer Foundation, which is like uh, the leading reproductive justice organization in Alabama and the South. And I really like them. So I like, I've been thinking about setting up a monthly donation for them. And then just like how to advance anti-racism work in my own life. I think that's important for everyone to reflect on this week, kind of independent of the election. Yeah. I hope everyone listening thinks that I'm pandering. <laughs> I hope everybody listening is like, fuck this girl.
0: No, they, they're going to know that you're being for real because.
1: I mean, either way.
0: Right. Even even if you're pandering, you're doing the work, you know,
1: I'm doing the work. I got my white feminism mug. I have, I'm having one of those mugs with a lot of boobs on it.
0: You got the mugs with the boobs on it. You're giving it to me. You have a fun hair color. (laughs) That's true. You are giving me like white woman battling against racism at every moment of her day, which I, which I, which
1: I appreciate. Oh my God. I'm like literally going to cry because like this haircut, like dramatic haircut is so like, if you look at like the executive boards of every like actual cool grassroots organization in the South, like the white women on those boards all just have crazy ass hair. And now I have that hair. You're getting
0: there, which I appreciate. Um, No, but in all seriousness, I do, I have seen that you're phone baking and I think that it's super cool. And I just know I don't have the capacity. So for those listening, how Markita has been dealing with election week is literally the antithesis of Margaret. (laughs) First of all, I woke up on November 3rd with a intense runny nose and a headache. And I was like, no way I'm sick. It must be because the air in the house. <laughs> you know, it was the air in the house, and then I just kept not feeling well, and I was like, "I think, I think that I'm sick," which was oh. fun. Um, which is funny. No worries, everyone. I just got my COVID test uh, results pending. They will be negative, but you know, let's speak that into existence. We'll they know the negative. We'll know the results of my test before we know who the president is. And my God. That's that. Um, I have been watching Great British Bake Off all week, nonstop. It is my second watch. I've actually watched all eight series in full capacity already. And I've decided to restart it this week. So I've been watching British people help one another bake. Wow. I've watched them cry over cake.
1: Colonizing each other
0: colonizing each other i have watched them be so nice someone drops their food someone gives them a food you know just the antithesis of america of of work yeah you know not saying that england doesn't have his issues but what happens in that white tent (laughs) of the great british bake-off is nothing but pure joy goodbye protect the tent protect the tent protect the tent So, but in all seriousness, I have really disengaged because, um, you know, and people have listened to previous episodes. I don't think voting is the end all be all. I do think it is an important thing to do. And I did it. I did my civic duty, um, but I don't have that much faith in the American system and actually was pleasantly surprised by the way that the numbers are looking as of today on November 5th. Um, But who knows, because Trump and 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 gerrymandering and you know, all of it, voter suppression, all of it. All of it. Um, I had a pretty easy time voting, which I think is a great transition into your voting experience because oh you had such an interesting voting experience, which I, 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 it's like, it's so interesting to me because I think when people think of voter suppression, I mean, it is, it is black and brown people for the most part. Yeah. But I <laughs> no, yeah, doubt. like almost almost exclusively let's yeah, like out. pretty exclusively. But I also think that people don't realize that voter suppression can happen in places like New York City. Voter suppression can happen in places like Chicago. You know, I think people have certain ideas of where that could happen. Um, and I just thought your voting experience was so interesting. I was genuinely shocked when I went into my voting place and they were like, we got you. You're all good. Wow. I was like, all right. No need to show an ID or anything like that. Right. It's stand there for 15 minutes and fill out 17 pages of a ballot.
1: But other than that,
0: it was was a very long ballot.
1: Wait, that is so, what local, I'm I'm actually not going to ask you that because I'm not trying to like trap you into local politics, but like, I'm I'm so, I really want to know. It was
0: like a bunch of judges. It was like, oh yeah. Literally voting on judges. And if I didn't have a friend who, Broke it down to me because, you know, I'm a native New Yorker. I don't know all the like local politics of Chicago. If I didn't have a friend break it down to me. I would not have known what to vote for, or who to vote, who to say
1: no or who to say yes to. So, oh, yeah, I, I'm like really happy to just very much say on this podcast, like I look at what the working family policy party tells me to vote for. I do about five minutes of critical thinking to decide what my personal thoughts are. And then I vote with that. So, like, I I am not doing, as, like, a person who loves voting and went so hard for voting this fall, like, I, I'm not doing anything more than, like, five to ten minutes of my own personal research on my local ballot, which sucks, but, like, that's just. Yeah,
0: but that's how, that's how it is. But, yeah, tell us about your voting experience in Brooklyn, New York.
1: <laughs> yeah, so Brooklyn, New York. All right, so let's everybody know, I live in Park Slope. I got this very, like. I'm playing indie music with my roommate and I'm working out of college. Like I got a lot of good things going on. (laughs) (laughs) You are not the people who are trying to suppress votes. You're not the vote they're trying to. No, I'm not a (laughs) (laughs)
0: suppressor.
1: Okay. So, so I'm, I, um, for context for everybody, I went through New York city poll worker training which is an interesting event that I really wish the entire country could go through. Um, One of the women organizing my poll worker training said multiple times that the voting age was 21. Um, It is not, it is 18 nationally. So whack as hell. (laughs) She said it with the confidence of a true poll worker coordinator. She was just like, the voting age is 21 and that's freaking it. And everybody there was like, excuse me.
0: Oh my God. Every time I listen, like someone will give me new information and I'm like, there's no way I can be more shocked. And then someone someone will tell me (laughs) something and I'm like,
1: not the poll worker coordinator. (laughs) 12 years, 12 years of service, this woman. (laughs) 12 years. Anyway. All right. Um, but I, so I went through poll worker training. Um, it's, it's a four hour class. You learn a lot. It's really interesting. Um, quick shout out to all the poll workers. Everybody's doing great job, very committed people. Um, I don't get assigned to a poll worker shift, which I think is a little weird, but not that weird because I hear that lots of people, um, went through training this year. Like, I think there might've been even more trained poll workers in New York city than ever before. So I was like, whatever, that's great. Um, I also want to say that I checked my voter registration probably a thousand times. I even got a new license in September. Like I was on top of it. I was like, my vote's going to count. Um, And it's going to count for socialism. So I really wanted that to happen. That's right. Um, So I go to my early voting location, which is Barclays. Again, I'm living in Park Slope. Got a blessed life. Um, I'm walking five minutes to Barclays. Not a hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed life. So I'm walking to Barclays with my roommate. We did our hair. Everybody looked good. I had my favorite hat on. Long or really short line. Everybody's cool. I go up to the voter registration table. They put me into the e-booklet, which is the iPad that poll workers use to look you up. They say you are not listed in this e-booklet, and I said check again. And then they checked again, and I still was not there. And so they said, "Okay, you're you're not in the system." Um, we have like a brief conversation about my address and my registration. I show them it on my phone that I'm clearly registered with the Board of Elections, but they still send me to the affidavit table. And for anybody who's not familiar, affidavit voting in a lot of states, but in New York City in particular, is very controversial because New York, as a very like liberal leaning city, does not have a lot of scrutiny or kind of critical lens on their election process. And affidavits are a part of the way that we've been voting for a long time um, that has been really suppressed. Um, so affidavit ballots in New York City, they literally tell you at poll worker training, that affidavit ballots basically just don't count. Um, they're basically like, yeah, if anybody's about voting affidavit, you know, their vote's probably just not gonna count at all. So you know, don't tell them that, but that's how it is. Like over the summer, last summer, um, New York state legislators like put together some new legislation to kind of improve affidavit ballot counting and make it a little more lenient toward the voter. Um, but it sat on Cuomo's desk for about eight months. I think it did get passed, but all that is to say affidavit ballots are shit in New York City and in New York State. Um, and if you can do anything to not vote by affidavit and get a regular ballot, which I was very entitled to as someone who'd done the entire process correctly. Anyway, basically, I go to the affidavit table, and I say to them, um, I uh, will not vote by affidavit ballot, can I see a judge, which is something I only know you can do because I went to poll worker training, and everyone at the affidavit ballot table um, immediately is obsessed with me. I'm the first person to request to see a judge um, at Barclays this year. Everyone starts calling over their friends um, to talk to me about my case. Like, this is like a poll worker's nirvana, I should let you know. Like, I'm coming up to them very respectfully, saying to them, like, look, as someone who went through poll worker training, I'm following the rules and I want to see a judge, which is basically, like, intoxicating to a long-standing poll worker. Um, (laughs) Like, these people are now, like, totally obsessed with me. So, They give me a slip to see a judge. It takes like 15 minutes and they have to call like a bunch of people over. So then I walk my ass from Barclays to the Brooklyn Supreme Court. Which is is like, I don't know how fast you were walking, but that's like a
0: 20 minute walk.
1: It's a 20 minute walk, but I was really propelled by justice. um, And I was Instagram videoing the entire event about my suppression. Just going off on my social medias. So anyway, I, um, go to the Brooklyn Supreme court. Uh, they're closing up. It's about five, but I run into a judge and she's like, this is bullshit. Come back tomorrow at 9 AM sharp. So I come back the next morning, not fucking around. Um, I get uh, bounced around from the Brooklyn Supreme court to the board of elections across the street. I go there. I'm having a great time with the woman at the front desk. She finds me in the system immediately says, this is some shit. You need to vote on a regular ballot. And I'm like, yes, thank you, you are my friend. So then I go back, I get taken back to a election commissioner's office. Um, I have to stand outside the door while the BOE employee presents the case to the elections commissioner. They spend about 20 fucking minutes looking at my case and making sure everything's all right. At one point they come out and they're like, wait, did your address change? And I'm like, I have explained this so many fucking times. Like I moved in March, it's all fine. So they thought that they caught me, but they didn't. They didn't catch me. So then I hear the election commissioner calling a group of judges. And I can hear it's like five judges on FaceTime now. And they're all trying to figure out Zoom. It's literally so scary and dystopian. They're like, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Is your mic working? Is your mic working? I'm like, everything's falling apart. Oh my god. That's right. So then anyway, eventually I get called in and they sit me down in this leather chair in the election commissioner's office and I sit there and they say, okay, go. And so then I have to like present my case to a board of three judges. And they like ask me, like, can you certify that everything you said here today is the truth? And I'm like, I think so. Um, anyway, and then I get an official notice from that judge um, that I can have a regular ballot. So then I go back to Barclays that it's members it's one day after I'd originally been there I go up to my polling location and immediately the site coordinator comes over and is like, oh, my God, you're back. And I'm like, yes, I am back. And she's like, yes. And so then we walk over to the affidavit ballot table, completely miss over this girl who's asleep at her e-booklet. And then they print me out a regular ballot. And I voted regular in Barclays. Everybody cheered for me at the affidavit table. And then I went home.
0: Wow. Wow. (laughs) Well, first off, I think that I I was watching this. You know, I was closely following this. Once you said yeah. you had been <laughs> turned, I got away. a lot of ups from you. Yeah, I was I was closely watching this, um, and I just think it's so like the process you had to go through is just. I'm thinking about the layers of it. Like someone who didn't know that stuff, right? Like that's right. They just happened to fuck over someone who was who sat in a 4 hour poll working like class but if it was someone else who took off of work to do it that day or so they would have just either done the affidavit or tried again the next day and been like oh i guess i can't vote right and and that's really what it is about it's like the lack of information like hearing the woman say 21 over and over again is like really dark that yes. stays
1: with me it should arrest your soul yeah, and then
0: also just hearing everything you had to go through, like oh my gosh! And there's so many people who don't know this type of stuff and don't know that they. I I didn't know technically about the affidavits. Like, no, and why, why I would had, you? Yeah, I've never had to fill one out, but I didn't know that they weren't counted. So it's it's just the level. Well, the thing is, is
1: like in theory. You should be able to, for some reason, not be able to fill out a regular ballot, right? Maybe you didn't register correctly this year or some other thing is going on. You should be able to fill out an affidavit ballot and feel confident about how your ballot is going to be processed. We just like live in a city where we cannot be confident about that. If Mm -hmm. I lived in like Colorado, I would be very confident about how my like non-regular ballot was going to be tallied. Mm -hmm. In New York City, we don't have that. Mm. Wow.
0: Yeah, no, it's actually crazy. And it's also interesting how voter registration is so fickle because, you know, I moved, but I still have a New York license. You know, I st- I have not gone to the Illinois DMV and no. done anything yet. I won't. And, <laughs> you know, when I, at first I was considering just doing absentee because I was like, oh, it's not like me being in Chicago is that big of a difference from me being in New York. So I still have my mm-hmm. New York ID. Why don't I just do absentee? So when I was thinking about the primary, I went to go check my registration. I was like, poof, gone from New York. Oh my God, like, no way. Just, just poof, like did not exist in the voter registration of New York. How did they even know? And I checked, I want wow. you to know, I looked this up in like February. So I had only been away from New York for a month at that point. And gone, poof, I was like, what?
1: Okay, so they're they're checking in on that, checking in on Marquita, but like not checking in on rolling over anyone else's like not, ballots to the e-booklet, that's good.
0: That's great. So anyway, I just ended up registering in Illinois because I was like, okay, well, I don't have an address in New York. I mean, I guess I could have used my mom's, but I was just like, Wh- whatever at this point. Right. Um, so yeah, and then once again, voter suppression, I did not find out. I actually was unable to vote in the primaries because uh-huh. Illinois did not tell me that I was registered until March 17th. They sent me a letter on March 17th, which was the day of the Illinois primary. And I did not get that letter until like 4 or 5 p.m. And I was like, oh, lovely.
1: Oh, lovely. <laughs> the, the, the votes are about to be tallied.
0: Love love <laughs> that I dismissed it. Of that <laughs> like so yeah it's it and it's weird because it's like we're, we're people who have access to information so we're able to access this and see it but there are a lot of people who don't have that access or don't have that time and it's like okay well I can't or I can't do this not knowing the rights that they're missing out on
1: um right it, yeah and um, you and I are both in a place where like we uh, can question systems and also have, like, support systems behind us that, like, I I knew that if I went into the BOE, and, like, literally, like, if I was wrong, like, if I was, like, completely wrong, and made a complete ass out of myself, and looked like an idiot, like, Mm -hmm. I was, like, I'll be all right, Right. Um, and also, I'll still be, like, fuck these people, (laughs) you know, right, and, like, I feel like you probably would have done the same thing.
0: No, yeah, and, you know, I was, like, okay, you know, because it was the primary, I was, like, okay, I'm not gonna, like, stressed about this but I was also vigorously checking my voter registration up to November cuz I was like they're not going to play me and act like I can't vote which is why I was ready when I went to vote like I had two pieces of mail I had my ID wow. I was like ready and they were like oh no you're good like no worries
1: and I was like, And it's so but you're so aware that it's so could have gone the other way like you're like constantly like sitting around during surveillance on your own rights to like uh, like voting in this republic
0: Right. And it's so interesting because, you know, we joked earlier in the beginning of the episode, like, you know, the the fact that you're like a white feminist woman or whatever. But it is interesting because you and I talked earlier before we recorded this about like white liberals. And what I find really what I've been finding really interesting is, one, I looked at the numbers yesterday and today, and it's pretty clear that white women voted more for Trump in 2020 than they did in 2016. um which i'm not shocked but i'm like oh y'all just like keep voting against yourselves all the time that's cool Um, they're multiplying yeah like it's insane to me so i i very and i think parts of me also have this like residual like resentment to people for like yes black people need to vote yes latino people need to vote but like this pushing of like black people need to vote. And if we vote, like things will happen as if we're not the most consistent base of people. Like we have not deviated
1: from the the Democrats since like the (laughs) fucking '60s. That's like absolutely correct. It's so, I, you, mm, this is such like an interesting thing about building progressive coalitions of voters because like, there's like this idea that like, it's kind of like, like the Bernie Sanders model to like, like mine, a whole bunch of like new voters who haven't voted before and like are disengaged. Right. And like that can work, but like when you're like literally like in the, in, in the group, in the pool of like black voters and like voters of color, like you're, you're, you're reaching down to like a bottom of the barrel that you're finding like three votes. Right. Right. And you're just like screaming at the whole barrel, like fucking vote. Meanwhile, there's like, an entire well of like white voters who are like shooting people.
0: Literally, or like, I saw this really funny tweet that was like, white people need to start gerrymanding their their parents. And they basically were like, well, the tweet was like, oh, uh, take your mom's ballot and like hide it. <laughs> or like that. Like, it, was, like, it was like, tell your mom, you're driving her to the voting station, but then you drive her somewhere else. Like, <laughs> it was like, it was so funny. And like, I don't think people need to, you know, do all that. But I do think there's a valid point to this idea, which kind of leads me into my next question. Like, I am so fascinated by white liberals who, you know, are liberal, but then like, that's it. Like, I'm right. Like me as a white person, I'm right. I'm on the right side, but I'm having brunch with people who are on the wrong side. Like, you know, right. like, Oh, I'll have conversations with white people and they'll say things like, "Oh, but she grew up this way and it's because of her parents and the money and stuff like that." You know, and and I just start being like, "Well, you could take that risk, I can't." Like, I just I'll just start Ooh, yeah, saying that to mm. people because there is no situation in which I am going to tolerate racism to like have a nice brunch or you know i'm going to and some people might say oh you're being immature because you're not letting people in your circle, who think differently than you. If you can support trump and he is racist I don't care how many times he says. I've done more for the blacks than anyone else. First of all, stop saying black
1: people. Just stop, stop black, saying it. Stop when talking about Black us. People, it sounds like a slur.
0: It just stop talking about us. Yeah, just just stop. Just stop. Just
1: stop. stop. stop we don't
0: want you to talk about us. <laughs> and then you know, if it's like, oh well, it's because they care about guns or this. You know, I I I really want to understand the mindset of a white liberal who knows that they. And maybe their immediate family are on the right side, but they know there are people in their life that are on the wrong side and they just like, don't do anything about it.
1: Yeah. This is a, man, I just had so many, you just made a lot of really great observations about how the world works. Um, (laughs) And that's like, just true. Um, man, I don't know where to start. I guess like, well, I guess like, what's your,
0: your experience? Like, yeah. Right. So you're so, you're so out here, you're doing all this stuff. Like obviously people around, you know, where you stand.
1: Yeah. That's, that's, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. People know where I stand. Um, um, especially in my hometown, I guess, um, I also want to say that like you, you made this point earlier. I actually don't, I don't know. You said that like you, people could say that like you're limited because like, you're not fucking with people who like are racist like you, you have like intentionally created a lot of, um, like you have put yourselves in a lot of, you have put yourself in a lot of situations in your life where you're around like people who are very different from you. So like, I really think it's a total, like anyone who says that you are not like putting yourself in situations where you're talking with people who think differently than you are like full of shit. Like you're just not talking to people who are racist. And that's very different. I mean, you know that, but I just, I feel like that's just true. Um, yeah. Yes. But, um, okay. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, I am, um, a white lady from Southern Illinois, pretty close to St. Louis, Missouri. And I grew up in a really small town that has like pretty, like pretty split politics. Um, like it's, it's, it's blue in the sense that there are like a lot of lawyers who work in St. Louis who live in my town, but then it's also true that my town caters to like, a rural community of almost like 50 to 70 miles outside of my town. So it's, it's a really big, it's a big voting pocket in the County. Um, it's also got the highest COVID rate in Illinois. Shout out. Um, I did not know that. Like, Oh well, yeah, they are. My County is dragging you down. personally. You Marquita. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so once again, you're being like really pulled down by a bunch of lazy conspiracy theorists, white people. <laughs> so sorry about that. um, Yeah, I mean, I think there's a big difference between not talking to people and finding common ground with people like continuously in your life, which I actually think that is what white people really need to challenge themselves to do Um, with people who are curious about the world and are open to new perspectives. There are some people, there are people in, in my life or used to be in my life who like, I just unfortunately don't have a relationship with anymore because and i mean really, this is like what the word liberal is very weird to me but i don't also don't want to say because of politics because like the way that i was raised like uh just like something like systemic racism is so divorced from politic and like liberal versus conservative and i know that it's not in the real world but like to me that's something that is totally transcends um political party and i th- i think probably most people would agree with that but like. I feel like because of that, I'm much more likely to like actually have a conversation, be able to find common ground with someone who identifies as Republican. Um, because I think that we could have things to talk about that like my, I could understand more where they're coming from. And then I feel like I could actually have a conversation with them about like what systemic racism is and like, and then even just like grounding it in our own community. Um, but I also want, and I texted you this earlier because you you texted me that question and I was like, oh, that's hilarious because I fuck up these conversations all the time. Um, well, well, yeah, like tell, but
0: I think what's important is that you're having them. And I feel like I know a few people in my life that, you know, before June, were not having them at all. And then June happened, you know, and, and this is not to like make people feel bad because- We, first of all, we're in our 20s. So this is already a stage of unlearning, of growing, of trying to do different things. But, you know, I had conversations with people where they were like, I don't, you know, how can, what can I do to help you? And I was like, um, I'm good. Like, I've always known racism (laughs) and thriving. You know, (laughs) I've never really had an issue. and and Never had an issue not knowing that. (laughs) that. You know, like... And I think that's really what's so interesting. You you made this comment about me being in lots of different places with people different than me. And that is true. And I definitely feel like in high school, I was vilified for high school girls are probably listening to this. Like nobody cared about you that much, but I do feel like, oh, I, but, I, they did. oh but they did. I, I do feel like I was a little bit vilified for talking about race and talking about it openly and that's because one, like growing up in New York city, like I saw black people around me all the time. As you know, it's a melting pot. So there's no way in which you don't really talk about race unless you're white, you know? And then also this idea of when I was in high school, girls would be like, why are you talking about race so much? Like, oh my God, are you racist? You're always talking about race. Um, oh man,
1: that one. Are you racist? Right.
0: It's like, well, one of the best. Yeah, I want to go back and be like, you know, when I was 14 and be like, well, I can't be racist, but I didn't have that yet. So instead, I just was just doing little me and being like, "Uh, no, I'm not. Are you? (laughs) Like, Are your parents? Because I think they are TBH. But it's just so interesting to me because my friends are like, oh, what can I do for you? And I get that. But I'm like, talk to your friends.
1: Yeah. Talk to your friends and maybe be like a normal friend to you. I feel like. Yeah. But this is like, but how you were just describing like your high school self of being like, I didn't have the language for that yet. Like I, I still like I, so I, conversations for me go a couple different ways, like really well. Like, I feel like there are people who are curious, who like want to hear what I have to say. I want to hear what they have to say. And like, there's like a lot of like love and empathy and common ground based on like mm-hmm. our respect for each other. I, I have those and those are great. I also though, Marquita, have a lot of conversations where I get really mad or really, And I, I, this is not a good thing about me, but like, I think I can get very condescending mm. or maybe deliver what I'm trying to say in a way that comes off as condescending to my peers, um, like especially people in my town and those never work me getting mad doesn't work. Um, but I do. And, (laughs) and what that does though, is like something that I think is really bad is like, then I get burnt out. Um, and then I can't engage in the conversation anymore. And that also helps nobody. Mm. That's something I really try to (sighs) come like divorce myself from my own personal feelings about what they're saying and try to think about like what the point of the conversation is, which is like, you and I shared something sometime, like maybe we went to high school together or like maybe we're fucking related. And like mm-hmm. we share something that I don't, it does not serve this conversation for me to just get like so pissed that I can't speak anymore.
0: Because mm-hmm. um, I'm also
1: then like not really a very effective conduit for the conversation that I'm trying to have. Right. Um.
0: But those must be hard. Like it's hard not to get upset if someone is just completely not listening or so brainwashed or something like that you know I always find it really interesting you know you said this thing about trying to find common ground which I think is like how you know they teach us to handle conflict like you try to find something that can bridge you Um, also I want
1: to be clear that I'm I'm saying that I think this is how like white people can talk to each other yeah um I'm not saying that I think like Black women or any person of color needs to be finding common ground. Oh yeah. People. No, no. I'm yeah. not
0: finding common ground with anyone. What's that. Like,
1: like, yeah. British no, I, off. I, yeah. <laughs> British bake-off.
0: Yeah. British bake-off. That's what I'm doing. I'm tuning out. Protect, protect the tent. I have to protect the tent. I have to protect my, my mind, but I do find, okay. you know, I, it's interesting to me because it's hard work what you're describing that you're doing. And I think also like you're human. So it's, Totally makes sense to be upset or to get bothered in an argument and then take that moment to refresh. Like, I think sometimes, I don't know, I'm not in the head of a white person, but I think sometimes white people think that, you know, Black people are saying, do this shit every day. I kind of am, but more so, but I'm being realistic, right? Like, I don't expect every time you go out that you're preaching to the choir. Not everyone's like that. But I, I find it really interesting. You know, I'll, I'll talk to someone. They're like, oh, I just had this conversation. I don't, I don't even know how you do it all the time. It was so exhausting. Right. And I'm like, yeah, imagine doing that all the time throughout your life continuously. It never ends. It will keep existing until you die. Like, so I'll never forget when everything in June happened. I unfollowed a girl because she just kept posting bikini pics. Like, yeah. I, I just unfollowed her. There it yeah. was no, you know, no anger in me at all. But I was like, your joy is not necessary right now. No, and I'm, what? Yeah. I'm not going to sit here and, and DM you and say, your joy is pissing me off. I'm going to take the action I can and just remove it. Because if putting four bikini picks up in the span of this one particular week, is how you want to make your internet presence known, then you're not someone I need to follow.
1: And that's it. And you can't do the mental gymnastics every three days when you see that bikini pic of being like, this fucking pisses me off. I don't feel good about this. Who is this girl? Why she do this? There's no point in you feeling like that every three days on top of everything else. Like this is such a small thing. Like, this is, like, such a literal small thing, and, like, all the bigger things are so much worse. Right. I do want to say um, this might be taking us to a different kind of zone of this conversation, but someone who I do really admire who talks about having conversations sort of similar to this is David Farrier, and he's a New Zealand reporter who's done a lot of really great documentaries and reporting on QAnon and 4chan and conspiracy theories. Interesting. And he says that like one of the best ways to actually combat misinformation and people who are like literally convinced that like hillary clinton like drinks the placenta of like you know babies who are in some sort of like prostitute ring like people who really believe this right is to like know their shit like even better than they do so that when Mm -hmm. you come to the conversation you can say look i know you think these things like that's terrible that that on like 4chan, knowing their sources, knowing what they say, like Hillary Clinton is like, you know, non on baby bones, like to be, to know, their, to know their shit. So that way they can, they feel seen by you. And maybe you can actually like make a dent into their, you know, QAnon armor. And I also think a, a kind of a point of resilience that people need to have, mostly white people is knowing that like, you're not going to like shatter any like glass ceilings or like anyone's huge armor just with one conversation right like it's maybe a conversation with you and then maybe it's a conversation with someone else in their life and then maybe like it's them showing up to a class or a reading group like exactly. and then so taking some of the ego out of it which I'll totally admit like that's something like I oh I so Marquita I want to have a conversation with somebody that like blows their mind I want to say the exact right thing I want to like I want to like see some like proud like product of my labor in front of me. But like, I'm never going to get it. Um, and I have to figure out like what else sustains me beyond just like having satisfaction within the conversation.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's really important to take yourself out of it, to take yes your ego out of it. And I also wonder if there's a level of risk you have to take. Like, I, I truly do believe, at least from, you know, my circles, that Black people are okay with losing friends over this type of stuff. Now look, I'm not even going to get into all the other isms that, you know, we as just people, especially black people need to work through. But I will say in regards to racism, we're pretty consistent <laughs> in regards to that, you know, and um we're willing to risk and lose friendships. Like I'm willing to not play nice if I know someone's doing something like I I always bring up this one incident, Um, a few, like in 2016, I saw this girl that I went to school with, who was very friendly with me, always super nice, like sweetest girl ever. I saw her post like, oh, my candidate won. And I quickly unfollowed, did everything, took her off everything. And she happened to be a, a friend of someone else I knew. And I mentioned this to the person. They were like, oh, I don't think so. I don't think... No, she couldn't because this person was really quiet about like their politics. And I think that's the other thing, you know, white people have to be okay with what you said, not that one conversation shattering things, but also understanding that there are some people, especially in the North, especially in places I've been present in where I know there are a lot more conservatives than the people who are saying they are because they understand the social norms of not saying where they land to keep the peace. Oh, that's right. So yeah. then, you know, I'll, I'll say to my friends who, was, who were calling me in June, like, you need to talk to your friend who never talks to you about politics. Like, uh-huh. you need to talk to your friend who you know whose mom says this crazy stuff, because they're not going to say that shit to me they're not gonna say that, that stuff to me purely because I'm a black woman. And then if they know a little bit about me, they know like it's not gonna go well. So they're not gonna talk to me about it. And I think that there's that level of risk that I've seen in some way people that they're afraid to take. And look, it's hard to cut off friends, especially like you said, you're related to someone. You know, and maybe someone listening to this will be like, the country is even more, is more divided than it's ever been. Why are you telling people to like cut off relationships? But I think in particular, white people don't have that much at stake. And that's why they keep voting how they keep voting, right? You don't and have
1: to risk it all. Mm-hmm. You don't have to risk it you all. Don't you don't have, have to. You can you can be very neutral and you can kind of get by. You, you can go your whole life without someone knowing who you voted for, or kind of what, like, your personal politics and beliefs are. That is so true. And I also, like, I want to be very clear that, like, I have not climbed the full mountain of my life. Like, I haven't had a conversation with every single person who lingers in my mind, who I'm like, this is a person that I grew up with, like, who I haven't talked to in, like, three or four years, but, like, is still in my life. I haven't had this conversation with them. But I have had them, and I have more and more of them. And I will say something that really helped me. This is just me personally, is that, like, I think you remember, Marquita, because you proofread it. Um, oh, yeah. I, last fall, like, wrote a letter to my high school principal um, just, like, about a very racist incident that had happened and kind of detailed a lot of, you know, observations from white students, students of color, issues with my high school from for a long time. And kind of, like, what what I know because of my work is, like, stuff that high school students schools do better to be better. That was such a bad sentence. Um, but <laughs> it's okay. I wrote a letter and you proofread it, read it, right? It was a great letter. Thank you. Um and like I had actually a lot of really good conversations from that of like uh people who really disagreed with me who DMs me and I would DM back and forth with them. Mm-hmm. But all this to say is that like when everything went down this summer there was like a new coalition building uh, mm-hmm. of alums from my high school. Um and we have started doing some work along with the school board to kind of take like direct like action toward making an actual like equitable environment for students. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have found it very helpful to just like be following those people who are from my town, Mm -hmm. like grew up the same way that I did, who like are kind of um, building more progressive environments within their own circles and their own social media circles. And like, I take note from them and I'm like, oh, like Hannah, whatever, like had this conversation with someone at her church like that, that really helps me to know that there's another person from my town who's having these conversations with people. And I'm talking like specifically other white people right. um, in the same group for me, because I'm like, and then I also know that like, those are people that I could talk to um, if I like was approaching like a really difficult conversation. And I'm not, definitely not saying that we need to make like little, like all white um, progressive alumni groups of every high school in the Midwest. For people to talk to each other. No, I was like that I sounds think- scary to me, but it that's no. helpful to me.
0: But I think I think it's a support system within it. I do because I think what you're getting at is real. And I know you and I could talk about this forever. So I'm gonna <laughs> try to wrap this up before we have True. like a two-hour podcast because we could do it.
1: We could do it.
0: Um, but I think we got we, more tea. We do. I we think do. that you're right that there does need to be kind of a support system for white people doing that anti-racist work because it's difficult. And like you said, you're, you're having to divorce your ego from it. You're having to divorce your feelings from it. That's a lot of work that is hard to do alone, right? And I think that where a lot of white people sometimes fail is that one, they don't think that they can make that change in their own communities. Like I'm not asking for white people to come out and be activists tbh don't really need that right now oh Oh, that's that's really (laughs) it but doing the work within your own community i mean there are things that i'm doing within my own community of black people you know there are lots of things that not all black people agree with but it's those small conversations that lead to another conversation that potentially lead to someone picking up a book right you can't just have that Uh conversation once and then I tried and it never happened again. Like it never happens again. And I think that's what I personally really admire about you, which is why you're in my quota of <laughs> three to five, <laughs> of three to five. And there are more, I promise. I'm just, I don't count my white friends on like the people oh, my on God on that on that show. Um I think that's why I really admire you because you are doing that hard work, but also noting that it is in fact difficult and that it will take a lifetime and there are many things that i also have to work on within myself of kind of learning when i can completely give up on the country and then also wanting there to be some change right and wanting to hear that people are doing things so huh, this week has been a, a week
1: yeah, yeah it has been i also want to note that i find almost no community in um east coast white liberals they don't understand me and my experiences so <laughs>
0: it's, but east, i don't know no but listen east coast white liberals are just so interesting because those are literally the people i've been around and yeah the ways that they navigate are just so interesting to me because it's I a lot of
1: pride it's, it's a lot, a of, lot pride. of pride
0: i also think that certain like you know geographical thing is real i think that east coast people we do kind of have this like air of we're the most sophisticated we get the world we understand it but a lot like i always say this the most racism that i personally have ever experienced in my life was in fucking connecticut
1: that's right (laughs) fucking (laughs) connecticut (laughs) everyone listeners should know that marquina and i are both using our hands so much right now
0: (laughs) (laughs) so i just think there's so much it's a big it's a big hill systemic racism voting your hometowns your families it's hard work but I don't know the country look at the numbers people look Look at at the numbers numbers and look at where people are leaning and there's a lot of work that needs to be done and I feel very confident saying majority of it needs to happen with white
1: people yeah with white women because I I don't I don't know. You can tell me how you feel about this, but like, I don't really know what to do about like white male conservative voters. I'm trying really hard, but I don't, I don't 100% know how to deal with it. Yeah. I, so,
0: I, I don't even have white. I don't, I, I don't have white men in my life. Like I cannot point to like a close white male friend in my life. Yeah. It is I can- white women. And I, I also think not that there aren't white men that are liberal, but I think in terms of white conservative men, parts of me almost say, I get that. (laughs) Oh my God. Like, like, (sighs) I get. Hold on to who you are. I get why you want to hold on to whiteness and maleness so hard. I get it. I think, it doesn't mean it's not
1: wrong, but I understand it. Well, yeah, white men aren't like snakes. Like the thing is, is that like the... I mean, just like with, if you're just looking at the different waves of feminism and how we have progressed in like the women's rights movements, like, I mean, white women are basically the most insidious voter block at this time. Very strong. Like it's, it's really time for us to really start considering like white women to be like full leaders not just accomplices in a white supremacy movement, which I know is something we've known for a long time. It sounds very ignorant for me to say, but I'm like publicly, like even just for Karen to happen this summer, I feel like it's a really big deal, right? There's a label that's a, that's a, that's a type of person that like is assigned to a certain type of behavior, like amongst white women who like maybe sometimes even call themselves liberals, but like harness the energy of white supremacy and misogyny uh, mm. to their advantage. And it's very insidious. And I think maybe it was something you're saying is that it's, it's very clear what a white man is, right. Who's conservative, right. Mm. We get it, got it good. But like, there's so much variation within this like voter block of, of white women. Yeah. Very.
0: Period. (laughs) I hope everyone listening to this episode has learned so much because I feel like we've said so many things. Um, But I wanted to know, do you have any final words about just
1: this week? It's not even done yet. (laughs) Uh, When is this podcast going to go up? Tomorrow. Look, if you want to cure ballots for me in key battleground states, DM me, (laughs) Marquita's listeners, like I will put you, I'll be phone banking with a union. It'll be very fun. Music is playing on the Zooms. It's multi-generational. It's a great, it. you know, just yeah. And um, you know, I don't know, read something, I guess. Yeah. I don't have anything to say, listen to other people.
0: I love it. Uh, thank you for being on the podcast during this um this tumultuous
1: week. <laughs> Been great. I'm feeling so good. Slept so I'm feeling
0: really great.
1: There's no one else I would have wanted to do this with. <laughs> oh my God. Marquita, that's true. I mean, I'm not like I I'm so honored to be. I've been on, I've been wanting to be on Don't Hold Back for So Long. I'm so honored that it's this. Haven't yeah. slept in like four days, feeling so good. Like let's just this is for, for the listeners. I'm doing the universal SOS sign, which is like a, a shaking peace yeah. sign.
0: Margaret and I, when we are in need of help, we'll just shake our hands in a peace sign. So that's what we're doing, all of you. Peace out. Be safe. Help us. Help peace out. <laughs> Thanks, Margaret.
1: Thanks, marquita
0: alright you All right, y'all. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. Special shout out to Margaret for always being willing to have just some deep conversations. And I think if you are a white person listening to this, you know, Margaret will scoff if she hears me say this. But I do think... She is someone that you should think about when you're navigating these conversations. You know, even if Biden wins, which I I hope he does, there's a lot of work that has to be done in this country when it comes to racism. And it has to be done within white people. So with that, have a good weekend. I hope we know who the president is by Monday. But if not, everyone stay safe. Stay safe regardless.